You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. And it's time for Geeks Pub. Once again, I am Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen over there in the UK. Not that Hello. You know, anybody with your accent would, what is he, South African? <laughs> I'm really tempted and I'm not, I'm, I'm biting my tongue here not to do the South African. So, no, don't do the no. South African accent. No. No. Although one day we should both use fake accents the whole show and just really piss everyone off. Well, I think what we should do is we should flip accents. So I'll do an American accent and you have to do an English one. I can't do an English accent because I'm so used to hearing it that I can't hear it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways. um, Yeah. Pretty cool geeky stuff going on lately. Um, This episode is going to be... I guess you would say part one, but it's, I'm not going to break it into parts. It's just that we're starting a new feature here on Geeks Pub, and we're calling it our Movie Scores Hall of Fame. And it's not going to be every week, and it's not even going to be every other episode, but every now and then, we are going to do, we're going to both pick six scores, or three scores each, six scores yeah. total, music from movies that when you hear it, it's kind of you know exactly what it is and where it came from and um i've picked my three and david has picked his three and we'll alternate going through these six picks and um little post i guess you'd say a little bit of a post editing on this episode because i'm actually going to edit in snippets of these this music we'll probably get takedown notice and all that stuff and <laughs> Oh well, if fair we do, use, we do. Fair use. Storm the capital. Fair use. Uh, so uh, we'll get into that, but let's start here. Um, a couple episodes ago, or was it the last episode? I think it was the last episode. Um, we discussed. Was it here on this show, or was it on? I'm pretty sure it was this show, wasn't it? We discussed Parlor, or was that Tech Fan? It was Tech Fan, I think. Let's hold the, our that then for Tech Fan. Yeah. All right. So we're going to start with WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, kind of the first. I mean, Marvel's done some uh, Disney Plus exclusive so far, but it's been, you know, not a series really. It's, you know, they've done like, I think it's called Visions or Legends or something. I don't know where they kind of look at behind the scenes or yeah. caught up, get caught up type of stuff. That's not what this is. This is the first original series for Disney Plus from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And David, you've got kind of an interesting take. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a there's a couple of things to unpack with with one division. First of all, is that this is the beginning of the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, uh, and interestingly enough. There's been a lot of stuff in the kind of the um, in the movie press and the TV press and everything talking. Well, lots of interviews with uh, with the people from Disney, and they've been saying, you know, don't think of this as as kind of peripheral to the Marvel Simnets and the MCU, which is what the TV shows they've always done before have. You yeah. know, um, Inhumans and Agents of Shield and stuff like that were set in the same universe, but they kind of weren't in that they were <laughs> completely separate. Um, they didn't interact or they barely interacted or crossover at all. Um, and while they talked about events in the 
uh, MCU, and in fact, we're, we're you know in terms of Agent Shield, were directly affected by a lot of the uh, big events in the MCU. They didn't kind of um, they didn't cross over at all. This is different. This is um, obviously it's got um, Scarlet Witch and Vision in it, who are uh, were key members of the Avengers up until the uh, end of the last movie, um, and um, this is basically kicking off the next phase. And the TV shows are as much part of the continuity. Um, as the movies are, you can't really blame Disney for that because of, you know, where we are with movie releases and that sort of thing. We have a Black Widow movie that's been sat on the shelf for 12 months now. Yep. Um, and uh, and so this is how they're taking things forward. And and this is, I think this is the problem. But if you, if you want to call it a problem, it's kind of a nice problem to have for, for Disney, but it is a problem, I think, because... Um, they started advertising on TV and my wife saw it and she likes a comic book movie and a comic book show. And so she said, uh, she said, Oh, is that, is that Marvel? I said, yeah, it is. So she sat down to watch it actually last Friday before I had a chance to, cause I was working and she turned it off after 10 minutes and she just, she said, it's terrible. I don't know what's going on. Um, it seems to be doing this sitcom thing. Um, it's not very good. It, you know, it's not even a funny sitcom. Um, it's awful, and I turned it off. So I said, okay. So Alexandra and I sat down to watch in the evening. And I can kind of see where she was coming from in one respect, in that if you are not steeped in what this means and the fact, the weird things, the fact that, you know, this this girl has these powers and, um, you know, she shouldn't be in this universe. It's it's not kind of... It, it, she appears to be in some sort of odd universe... Um, and you know that the guy who's playing her husband is a character who died in the movies. Um, and, and my wife saw the Avengers movies, you know, she, she knows that, but she, you know, she watches and she doesn't remember all the details specific. She's, this is what I've said to you before about some people are not as deep into this as we are. Um, and she just couldn't understand what was going on and become this specifically aping the kind of stilted comedy style of an early fifth of a mid fifties sitcom. Well, the first episode is. <laughs> yeah, the, the first one episode is is, uh, is a sixties sitcom. Yeah, it's exactly. Not even a, the, it's kind of a sitcom, but yeah. The but the problem is, is that I think most people are going to watch that first ten minutes of the first one, and they're going to go, "This is dumb," and they're going to turn it off unless they know. Well, because, not according to the reviews that's coming out so far, and Rotten Tomatoes in particular, that it's the highest rated thing that Marvel's done so far. Well, yeah, but uh, there's a lot of Marvel fans out there. I think exactly. I think the difficult the difficulty is is that is that um, it, it it maybe lacks broad appeal, and I I think to survive on, you know, when you're in the movie theater, yeah, there's a lot of people who buy movie tickets who are dragged along to the movie by somebody who wants to see the movie. Yeah, people tend to go to the movies in couples and groups, and so you'll get a lot of relatively disinterested people coming along to a Marvel movie. Yeah, who come with partners or brothers or sisters or something like that, and they just go, "Well, I'll go and see a movie." And that sort of thing. They they probably aren't as rapidly into it as everybody in the group. The difficulty with TV is that if somebody turns the TV on, starts watching a show, and the other person doesn't like it, they're going to walk away, um, and that that is going to have a a long term impact on the appeal of Marvel shows if they remain too niche. I don't think they will do, but I think this one is a tough one to launch with because it is so off the wall and because you really need to know about it outside of the show itself to really understand what's going on. And the, the, the irritating thing is that if you stick for it 
stick with that first one for 20 minutes rather than 10 minutes, you start to realise what's going on because they start dropping the fact that this is some sort of weird universe where everything is not as it seems and then you can start to get into it and and i found for instance the second episode of it much more enjoyable for that because you could really then start to feel what the vibe was and i think they made a mistake by making the first 10 minutes of the uh, of the first episode really just purely a riff on a on a 50s sitcom complete with the stilted jokes i i think they could have you know come out of it um the script could have come out of it very much more quickly than, you know, the first 10 minutes where effectively they're playing it completely straight as if it is Green Acres or something like that. Well, I think it's meant to be based on the Dick Van Dyke show, that first one. Uh, that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the second one's more uh, bewitched. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I would say yeah. uh, I, I kind of get what you're coming from, but I also totally disagree with it. I think as... Um, the showrunners and the creator they're trying to create something here and if you don't get the first 10 minutes you got to hook them in and well then that was not your audience anyways and you don't care uh it's not going to be a a super broad appeal show they can't make it for every single person out there they they have okay this is what we're doing if someone go on cat go scoot you get scooch oh now he just lays there on the floor like okay you're gonna play with me now um you know, I, your your wife isn't the type of person that's going to enjoy because she came into it with pre existing. It's Marvel. It's going to be action. It's going to be no Marvel doesn't have to be that. Uh, and no, I think uh, yeah, I would disagree that with that. The, I don't think Marvel she was so. Ha- yeah, I I disagree with that I don't think she was so hung up on the fact that it was a Marvel show and she had expectations of that. I well, think you she said just, right at the beginning that she said, "Oh, this is a Marvel show," and that's why she was going to sit down and watch it. That's exactly well, yeah. what you said yeah but but she watches a lot of things and she watches a lot of things that she's never heard of or that she has heard of and might have preconceptions of and then find they're different right Um, and that's exactly what happened here that she had a preconception that it's a marvel show that she's going to enjoy she sat down and it was something totally different and she got yeah i I know that's not maybe i'm not phrasing it it's not really quite what i meant to say what i'm saying is that um she saw the ads for it, but she just might well just might as well have have not seen the ads for it. In that, if uh, she'd have gone into Disney Plus and seen there was something new, even if she hadn't spoken to me about it, she probably would have started watching it anyway. Um, because you know that's what she does. She watches all sorts of stuff that I would never even look at. You mm-hmm. know, all the foreign, all the foreign superhero stuff and the foreign um, dramas and Bridgerton and all these other things that that really don't interest me at all. If it's new, she'll have a look at it and see if it appeals to her. And some stuff she's watched is really quite off the wall. Um, but, uh, you know, foreign language and, and weird stories and all sorts of things. And she's really enjoyed some of them. Um, what I'm just saying is is the pitch of this, the, the, the first, as I said, that first 10 minutes, it, it's really kind of... Different. It, well, it, yeah, it's different. and But it just it embraces the sitcom thing so hard uh-huh. that I think it's off-putting, particularly as... You know, I, if they'd I have totally led, with, if they'd have that, led, 100%. if they'd led, well, may, here's the thing: maybe if they'd led with Bewitched, if they'd have embraced the the sitcom thing with, with Bewitched, that's that's probably far more, um, outside, maybe outside the US, I don't know, but it's it's probably far more familiar to people than um, than the Dick Van Dyke Show, 
then maybe it wouldn't have been so bad if they'd started in the 60s era or on the 50s era. But I think that, you know, that 50s I Love Lucy stroke, um, you know, Green Acres style is so dated now that I think it's a real turn-off. And as I said, they could have dropped more hints of... Oh, <laughs> more hints of it of the fact that this is some sort of scenario and it's not no, see, real i, I totally know? disagree with that i think that yeah. the the what they're going for was handled brilliantly i think that it was a hundred percent the right move not to look at the audience and go this isn't real wink wink stay with us no screw that well they do Play that on exactly, the end of the episode at the end of the episode exactly yeah you know you got to sit there and watch it and then bring it in and understand you know okay what this isn't something that's weird going on here i want to know what's going on um and the vast majority huh people like weird exactly and so yeah so why not why not make it i mean i don't know there are arguments it's it's 22 minutes dude if if you can't stick with it for 22 minutes and it's not the show for you it's just yeah i don't want to say it's over your head it's just not for you uh and and you know the other th- obviously once the whole thing is out there and people, people can binge it i mean we often get this with with shows where people say oh the first couple of episodes you need to kind of plow through them but it, then it gets really good and i think this is going to be one of those anyway it's only going to it i thought it was real good ed- right from the very beginning well but yeah i, I, th- agree with I you thought the second the episode was yeah i thought the second episode yeah so it's building. was much better than the first one right and um, the previews for the next one yeah. looked like it could be even better so i yeah. think that this is exactly what you want to do. I think the greatest shows out there build up and build up, and it just gets so good and good. It's just awesome. Um, yeah. And I, I think that they're hitting it out of the park so far. I think the acting is first rate. Oh, I think no. I, I, the set don't design get me wrong. is awesome. I think yeah. that the story so far is very intriguing. Um, yeah. Is Vision actually alive? Is 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 she creating this or is someone doing this to her? Well, um, they give you little see, teasers but, that. If but here again, in, can I finish? He, sure. If you know the comic books, there's a little bit more in there for you that you're like, oh, okay, I know what that is. But if you're not into the comic books, you're like, oh, I wonder what that is, and you're going to want to watch more. A good example of that is the logo from Sword. Sword oh. is a um, kind of like a shield, but more worldly, I guess, if you'd say. It's just a different type of organization, and I think that they're. I I don't know. I I don't think that this is something of Wanda's creation. I think this is happening to her, or someone's manipulating her to to do this. And that's the kind of thing that I want. I, I had a feeling that's what this was going to be when I saw the previews. But that's the kind of thing I want. A more of a, a little bit of a slow burn, and in what forty five minutes between the first two episodes, putting them together, they've done a great job of establishing that something is going on here. you got to come back and watch for more. They're not going to give it to you all in one big you know, mouthful. But when you said binging, and I think that is going to be the biggest problem with Marvel and, and maybe to a lesser degree Apple Plus, in that they are releasing episodes on a more of a traditional basis, one every week. Now, they yep. started WandaVision with two episodes just to get you hooked in, but it's going to one every two weeks after this, or one every week after this. Um, <clears throat> I think you're 100% right that that is an issue. Netflix has conditioned us to sit down and binge it over a week, 
that's how we are starting to in, that's how I like it. I, I I hate the ones that are doing it like this way because I'm impatient. I want to watch the whole damn thing. So you're going to get people like me that are still going to watch it because I just got to know, but I really wish I could just binge it and you're going to get others. Maybe this is this would have helped your wife if she would have known that she could watch all of them um, to release the whole series all at one time. Yeah. I, I, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. However, just to counter your argument slightly, you made loads of references there to stuff outside of the TV show. The comics, I think an awful lot of people watching it will probably not remember that Vision died in in uh, well, I think a in lot the of movie before do. last. They made a big deal about it. Well, I know they made a big deal about it, but they didn't reference it at all in this. And I think you've, you've got to give the audience something to kind of contextualize this some people may watch it and go what well and some people may go well vision's dead i guess this is set before then you know right, it's set in the 50s so watching you, it. uh yeah i look my, Don't my give problem them answers with, right at the beginning i mean my pro- my problem with it is this has been i mean it's being promoted on tv here it's being promoted on bus stops yeah it's getting that big public awareness launch for something that's extremely niche and requires an awful lot of knowledge outside of the TV show itself. I think even the fact that they, despite the fact they're going to do it every week, they launched with the two episodes because, as we both agreed, the second episode was far superior to the first one tells me that even they realised that maybe they didn't hit it out of the park with the first episode. Um, And I, I did just think, you know, when you're doing something... This odd and this strange. Don't get me wrong. I love the show. I, I really, really like it. I like all the things you like about it. But I'm just taking the point that, that you know, I had an everyman experience in my home. And I think that's an experience that a lot of people are going to have. And I think I they're going to turn you, this on, and uh, turn this off and go, thing. this is crap. And, and I, I just I feel that thing. Disney could do it no. better. No, I think that's it's all. a good thing. I think it's 100% the right direction. Here's why. Um. It establishes that they will and they are and they can do things differently. That if you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole, what they've done, they've had a heist movie, they've had a buddy movie, they've had they've taken these different genres and put the superheroes in these, and it works extremely well. I mean, they did the whole spy yeah. thing with Captain America. Now they're going to do that with television as well. I think that for what you or your wife probably would have enjoyed more, I think that's going to be uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon. That's what I think that's going to be. Yeah, I, um, I, again, and that's I good agree because I want such a broad choice. I want more than just oh, well, it's another Marvel show. It's going to do this, this, and this. I mean, if you want that, that's what DC does with the WB shows. Yeah. Every single one of those shows are exactly the same. Yeah. When we say a WB show, we know exactly what that yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, when the, the Arrowverse, I think, is, yeah. you know, and everyone you, kind of, you, want that you know kind what you're of, getting. Yeah, if you want, if you already know what you want and you're going to get it 100% of the time, that's what you watch. Or you watch yeah. the Hallmark classics or Hallmark movie Christmas shows. They're all the same show. It's Every movie is exactly the same. Yes, different stories, blah, blah, blah. They're all the same. Same yeah. thing with WB. Marvel is going in a completely different direction, and to me, that means we used. Where did he go? She is just a little pain. No, she doesn't agree with you, Anna. Yeah, um, I think that this is the direction to go because then you're going to get different, smarter, better. Well, better in my opinion. I mean, better yeah. is a. Uh, you know, your wife would disagree with me on and you on WandaVision, but that's that's why you do it. That's why I think that 
this is 100% the right way. I don't think you spoon feed a whole bunch of people from the biggest movie of all time that everyone has already seen. Let's be honest. That's that yeah. was the biggest movie of all time. You don't. And it was the last movie that you released. Well, no. Yeah, it was but Spider Man. It was um, Spider Man, and it was it was two years ago. Um, yeah, but we've know, all yeah, been sitting two, at home doing nothing. Everyone's watched Endgame about four times now. Uh, well, maybe, maybe not. Um, my don't my, cha- my challenge make, make with me it. A, an intelligent viewer. No, That's I understand. I, like. I understand that. But yeah, <laughs> let's just look at the world around us every day. Don't you can't assume that everyone is intelligent. I'm sorry. But you can't assume that you're going to produce a show that every single person is going to go. Oh, I get exactly what's going yeah, on. I'm not. No. That's not what. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about doing doing the Arrowverse or or right. anything like that. What I'm talking about is you could make the first ten minutes of the damn thing a little bit more accessible. Particularly yeah, as you just said, you just said, oh, oh, you know, she'll like uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier more. There's a very good chance after seeing this, she won't want to watch any more Marvel shows. Yeah, because she'll she'll say, oh, the last one, I, last one I watched, the first ten minutes was so terrible yeah. i turned it off not gonna yeah? happen uh, well we'll see we'll see um i just think if you're gonna do something different you you kind of lead people into it rather than just throw them in at the deep end i think i think that's really what i'm coming down to yeah. this felt I, I like everyone was thrown in at the, the deep end and yep. and i just felt it could have been done more deftly that's all yeah i i 100 disagree i think throwing someone in the deep end in a show like this is a hundred percent the right direction so we'll see how it goes uh, obviously you and i are both going to be here for the entire series um yep. and we've got two more series coming you know i know we've discussed a lot uh about star wars and two episodes ago we discussed all the upcoming marvel fair and uh, on disney plus and uh i think each show is going to be its own thing and it, it looks like they really know what they're doing and i have all the confidence in the world of the creators at marvel um, but let's jump into um, kind of our theme for this episode. We both picked out six pieces of music that we think should go into our Movie Scores Hall of Fame. And eventually I'll make a page at te- um, geekspub.com and I will have like a video that has this music in it as well. So you'll be able to go back and listen to all of these. And if we miss something, you think, Hey Tim, this, Hey David, this, this, and this, this these are ones. Yeah. I can't believe you guys didn't talk about them. Now we are not ranking these. These are not ranked. This is the best of all time. We're not doing that. No. Um, we're just picking each of us three pieces of music to us that a hundred percent represent some of the best stuff out there. And I'm going to start, David. Of course you are. The, the first one that I picked uh, was the main theme from Terminator 2. So I left this a little is, pause there so we could uh, edit. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what, you know what, I was going to I was gonna put them in the show on my sound pads, um, but Audio Hijack completely let me down. I, I, in fact, I think it was Apple and their weird security settings nowadays, but I couldn't get Audio Hijack working, otherwise I would have played them in the show. Um, but, yeah, this one is, it's one that, this one I think was a bit of a stealth one. 
because I don't remember. I, I mean, you know, you go and see the movie. The movie blew me away when I first saw it. Yeah. Uh, it absolutely. One of the you know, rare this, movies that the sequel is way better than the original. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this was when James Cameron was really picking up steam as a, as you know, the ra- very radical and, um, you know, spectacular filmmaker that, that he became. Um, and the score is really important. I mean, with all of these pieces of music, I think we, you know, the, we don't want to celebrate them because the musical scores can be a really important part of the uh, of the movie. Um, well, I think and, the musical and, scores is in, as important as the rest of the movie. In fact, I was watching this tribute to John Williams, and Steven Spielberg was up there, and he showed a clip of E.T., which, by the way, isn't on our first six here. Um, of any, he, he describes that you you don't even get the main ET theme until this scene. That you get mm-hmm. little snippets of it, you build up to the theme. But once Elliot and ET ride the bicycles up over the FBI people, the whole yeah. ET theme actually plays at that point. And it's a brilliant piece of filmmaking because he shows it without the music. And it's freaking kind of stupid and dull. And then he plays it with the music, and it's it's a hundred percent different experience. Oh it yeah, just is. yeah. I mean, m- music it, music really appeals to the emotions, and it really supports what you're seeing on yeah. a on the two dimensional screen. Um, I think the clever thing about this one is that um, he's the, the the composer Brad Brad Fidel. I think is not is not as well known as some of the other people on this list, um, but. But what he did is, is he he's with this one he he really combined the 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 beat really gives you the like the mechanical nature of what you're about to see. Obviously, the Terminator is about a robot, an unstoppable robot, and he, and that that kind of beat in the background that that he starts with um, really kind of establishes that. Yeah, and and that's a great. It's I mean it's it's a great motif that's used throughout the movie. Well, so, a lot you know, of scores you'll notice kind of use small beats to to enhance what you're seeing and sometimes it affects your emotions um jaws would be a perfect example the opening of jaws where the girl's in the water and if you just listen to that or watch that i should say with no music it's it doesn't do anything then you turn on the music and that was a that was a very similar trick yes in the the, you know he, he gave he used a musical beat to kind of uh, create the menace of the shark, and and in the same way that um, that, that the composer here in Terminator Two does that for the for the machines. Yep. But the thing is, is then the then the actual the, the melody comes over, and the way the melody plays, it's all synthesized, so it, it sounds very futuristic. But then then the actual tune is 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 it's quite a, it's I won't say it's a pleasant tune, but it's quite an uplifting tune. Yeah. In that it has a it's very cleverly Hopeful. even though this is a quite a dark movie. Yeah, it weaves in that kind of element of hope to it, yep. um, and and I think it's. I mean, you go back and ask people; nobody can remember what the music for the first Terminator sounds like. No, and yet this one, every most people could, pr- could probably hum it. You probably um, think this is from the first Terminator, exactly. And and I think I think the the fact that that it becomes a co- bit of a cultural touchstone, you'll oft, it'll often then be played whenever anybody's being accused of being robotic or something like that. You might hear this in the background. Um, if it becomes cultural like that, then you know it's a really great, um, well, a I really think great every theme single- that song that we picked here is a, a cultural touchstone yeah uh what's your your first one uh so my first one 
is um, from Pirates of the Caribbean. He's a pirate. This is like the... When people think of Pirates of the Caribbean, this is the piece of music they think about. So, yeah, that is very um, iconic now. But in some respects, you could use this in other movies for being at sea or some kind of a grand adventure. It doesn't, to me, bring the the feel of this is a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And I think because they made so many of them in such a short amount of time that they kind of mm. diluted it. By the way, every one of our picks are from movies that have sequels or are the sequel. <laughs> yeah. Every single one of them. I, I just realized yeah. that. Um, that is funny, yeah. Yeah, I love this music. I think it is super iconic. And, and it's just... It sounds like the sea. Now, is do we think that because it was from a movie and they're on the sea? Or do we think that because the composer captured that feel and it, and it kind of harkens back to old movies and stuff when it, they had pirates in it and stuff like that? This, one of the things I liked about this one is that, is that it's a very modern composition, even though it's talking about pirates, which are quite old, which obviously are, are set in the past. I also like the fact that, to me, if you listen to the the entire piece, uh, and it's about it's about a, a three minute um, yeah. three minute signature, this um, it actually sounds like a um, a sword fight on a ship oh, as I can much hear as that, that. yeah. yeah? Uh, because the way they kind of interrupt the beats and that sort of thing, it sounds like clashing swords. Um, and and what I really liked about it is that, um, despite the fact that the pirates aren't generally the good guys, yeah, this piece of music kind of makes it, it captures the not necessarily being the good guy, but the excitement of being a pirate. And I thought that was very clever. And the the, the other thing as well is I think so much. Um, th- this was composed by. Uh, uh, not by Hans Zimmerman, um, but by a colleague of his, because he didn't have time to do it, though apparently he worked a lot in the background and, and didn't take any credit. And Hans Zimmerman is a, a German composer who's done a yeah. lot a lot of big movies, won a lot of Academy Awards as well. Um, but I, what, I, what I liked about this one is that so much kind of effort and verve was put into the music for a, a movie that was a real big risk at the time because everybody, whenever when we all heard they were doing a movie based on theme park ride, everyone thought, well, that's going to be stupid. Um, and I and I think you talk about the sequels. I think every single uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie after that first one got worse and worse and worse. Oh yeah, no so, question. They got they so, got terrible yeah, over time. Yeah. So this this was the best one, and it came out of nowhere, and it, then it had this really kick-ass kind of you know iconic piece of music as well so that's really why i put it in i like the fact that they didn't use a more of a sea shanty type of yeah i would have hated that you know (laughs) scrubbing the deck you know no that's not also as well i also like that because obviously the actual theme park ride had a a constantly repeating song that's part of the ride and they avoided the temptation i think they stuck it in somewhere but it it really wasn't like a major thing it was uh thank goodness yeah because you know it works okay for a theme park ride where you know the boats are constantly moving and everyone's coming in and out all the time but to have that repeating on the screen would have been awful you know i i know that they're gonna make more of these movies because disney um do you think that they should 
maybe retire everything about the original ones and just kind of start from scratch because Johnny Depp's not going to be in it. He's pretty much lost toxic. all his work. Yeah, he's toxic. Yeah, he's point. he's kind of toxic at the moment. Um, I I would imagine that's the best thing to do. But the problem is, can you catch the lightning in the bottle twice? I, the, whether whatever you think about Johnny Depp. Um, the performance he gave as as Jack Sparrow was kind of what made the movie. The rest of it was quite generic. Yep. Um, and so, uh, you know what's funny is they did. Um, you know they have they updated the ride at Disney, so yeah. it's more like the movie. He actually was in character at the theme park a few times. Uh huh. And when people are going by, it's it's actually him yelling right. at people, and people recognize like, oh my god, that's actually Johnny Depp. Yeah. It was. I saw that on YouTube, and I was just like, "That's man." I wish he wouldn't have gone off the rails because yeah, he's did he hit really anybody when he did that? Huh? Did he hit anybody when he did that? No. <laughs> um, well, that was lucky. Yeah, especially well, if he's drinking. That's right. Uh, does anybody play a better drunk than him? I don't know. I mean, because I think he's had a lot of practice. Yeah, a little bit. Um, <laughs> my next one is actually it was a this is the only one that I can think of on this list that was a pre-existing piece of music that is now 100% synonymous with this movie series and that's Halloween so I you know um, that's tubular bells right yeah yeah so when I oh, hear hang, hang, that, on, hang on a minute, no, no, Tubular Bells was the one that was on The Exorcist. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. So which one is this? Or maybe this I, was created for it because that's what I was thinking of. But yeah. you're right. I don't know. If only we had something like Google or something that had been invented yet. Doesn't matter because when I hear that music, that's horror movie. And think about yeah. it. You know, usually when you think of something scary, you think of the deep notes and dum or the Imperial March, or some, so, <coughs> excuse me, something that's deep and heavy that you know broods menacing. This is the opposite of this. That these are these very high notes, just one at a time, until of course the the actual orchestra type of stuff kicks in. Um, you know, with the deep, and then it sounds menacing. But ju- even just the very first little bit of the bells playing. It sounds scary. Now, does it sound scary because you've seen the movie? I remember I didn't see Halloween. This movie came out in 1978. I was eight years old. They, there's no way my parents would have let me watch this. But I did watch it years later, probably on HBO or something, uh, or rented the VHR or VCR or VHS. Geez. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a big horror movie kind of guy. They don't they don't appeal to me usually um, because I, th- I think they're all at least now, very go by a formula, and I just, nah, this doesn't do it for me. I get the appeal, but horror movies don't do it for me. But this was different. This was, um, it. the music itself is just, it's synonymous with being scary now. If you're walking in the woods by yourself and someone played this music, you'd be scared shitless. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's interesting. It's, it, it is interesting to see if the, um, the kind of the the environment you you get exposed to and you learn this piece of piece a piece of music to influences how it makes you feel yeah uh, and and whether whether bringing those two things together is part of is part is really is part of the formula because we talked about the music 
putting the emotions into the movie, but but maybe it works the other way. And if you associate it with a particular movie, it makes you feel a certain way. I guess. The, well, the, I think the, the best way- go hand in hand, don't yeah. they? Yeah. The movie affects how you hear the music, but the m- music obviously affects how you feel about the movie. Yeah. But maybe if you if we took footage of a horror movie and then dubbed the Superman theme over it, we could probably, make it yeah, different. Well, maybe, probably not because it's too iconic. Uh, yeah. uh, your next one was one that I knew you were going to pick, so I didn't on purpose. Right, and this is, uh, yeah, you mentioned it already, it's the Imperial March from, um, funnily enough, from Empire Strikes Back. Everyone thinks it came out of Star Wars, but it didn't. It was from Empire. Um, and uh, really, I think one of the, I think at this stage in our culture, maybe it says more about our culture than anything else. Everyone knows the Star Wars music, yep. but I think when people think Star Wars, they think of the Imperial March, and maybe a little bit of Jewel of the Face but um, from the Phantom Menace, but definitely the Imperial March is is the one a lot of people, is their go-to Star Wars music when they think Star Wars nowadays. Um, I think it's bigger than the main theme. Oh, I agree with uh, you. you um, know. I, in fact, I kind of got sick of the main theme. Yeah. You know? When I hear the main theme, I can skip over and I don't need to hear it. But the Imperial March is, um, and we keep using the word iconic, but I don't think there is a piece of music in all of the world that's more iconic than that one piece of music. I, and I do mean that seriously. Yeah. I can't think, I think of another piece of music in any movie that is, I hate to use the word bigger, but bigger than the Imperial March because it's just. Although my next pick might come close, um, yeah. it, it, man, when you hear it, it is the bad guy theme. But yet, it, it, the music itself kind of excites you. Exactly. Well, it, I mean, it really brings across the the kind of the the awe. I mean, you talk about shock and awe. The Empire's all about shock and awe. That's all they ever did. And they built big guns, big weapons, did big things. They they had the big bad. Um, and the music really brings that across. It's very interesting because despite the fact that the original Star Wars movie literally was, um, you know, knights versus Nazis in space, yeah, they didn't have, like, an iconic bad guy theme in it. Um, and it was really only after um, Star Wars became the cultural phenomenon it did after 78 that, that when Empire came out, they decided that, that they were going to have to have... Um, a, a bad guy theme and, and talk about knocking this one out of the park because the thing is I would argue you could never you would never have needed to have ever seen a Star Wars movie yeah you could pay this to somebody and uh, this piece of music and the, the what what it would inspire in their imagination would be very close to what the Empire looks like in Empire Strikes Back I agree you know, with you those vast formations of ships and hardware and soldiers and everything and kind of implacably marching forward, which of course is the whole first first act of um, of Empire, which is the you know the attack on Hoth. And even there, you know, I mean, this this was the thing they they, they took, which on the face of it seems the most impractical thing ever, which is walking robots as tanks. 
yeah and they made it work and that one of the reason it works i think is part of this is is the music because it's marching music and so it makes sense to have the bad guys be marching however they come at you even if it's walking over a over an ice field i you don't know, think they're gonna... that the imperial march played at that scene in fact you don't think it was it. in it at all not in that scene no no well it, it makes me think of it yeah uh, well, because that, of the, that's, because that's of, kind the of the marching point, though that the, yeah. the music that's what it is i mean i bet if you go on to youtube you can find a, a collage of imperial scenes from all three movies and it will be playing this song yeah um and hitler totally would have stole it for the nazis <laughs> 38 39 i'm surprised trump never played it at a rally so there you go there you go um my last one is um when i told david that other than the imperial march this might be the most iconic piece of music that we have quite honestly uh from 1972's uh, 1972 is that right wow the godfather So, David, that is um, a sweeping piece of music that starts so subtly. Yeah. And I think that's a cello, but I don't know. I could be wrong. A, a thousand people are right now going, what? You're, you're an idiot. Um, it, I don't know. There's something about that music that it's tragic because the story of The Godfather is a, a story of family and tragedy and... Um, it's probably one of the best at least the first two uh, best movies ever made I mean it's it's always up there on a top five list The Godfather is an amazing piece of cinematography Um, you know it's kind of what started a lot of careers in Hollywood or at least took them to the next level Uh, but beyond that I mean look it was based on a book from Mario Puzo, which until just recently, and I think I might have actually said this on the show a couple months ago, I had never actually read the book. I'd bought it a few times, mm-hmm. but I never actually read it. I, I kept meaning to, but I would buy it, I'd get excited, and I'd just watch a movie, and then I'd be like, eh, I don't want to read the book now. Yeah. Well, I actually, well, I, I read the book this year. I've never, uh, I've never read it, so how is it? Oh, it's, it's awesome. Um, yeah. Watching one makes the other better. Or reading mm-hmm. reading the book makes the movie better, and watching the movie first and then watching it, you hear the characters as they are in the movie. Uh, they yeah. could not have picked better um, actors to play these roles. Now, the book obviously has a lot more to it, and in fact, a lot of The Godfather 2 came from the same book. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Marlon Brando as The Godfather is probably at least in my opinion one of the the best cast roles of all time mm-hmm. i mean the, the way he had the jowls and the way he talked and his mannerisms i mean it's just there's so much from that movie that everybody aped for so many years and still do to this day yeah yeah and and it was it i was finding it interesting because 
you know, this was this was towards the end of Marlon Brando's career, and he was famous as being really, really difficult to work with. He wouldn't learn his lines, so everything had to be put in a cue card out of eye line. Yep. Um, you know, he wouldn't turn up to set. He was really, really difficult. Um, and yet people put up with it because he was capable of delivering these performances. And and that kind of that, yeah, that, that kind of low, understated voice, but with that menace in it, because, you know, he... he I, the, the thing about his performance is that he just... He states things that sound terrible. He states them just plainly as facts. You know, normally you would say, "Oh well, no, you don't have to do that. Why would you do that to me?" Oh, let me, let me, uh, you know, wait, any in any conversation, if somebody threatens you or or uh, says that they're going to have to do something to you that you don't want, them, like you would argue with them. You would go, "No, well, you don't have to do that. We we can come to some sort of arrangement." You couldn't possibly do that with Marlon Brando no. playing the Godfather because he the he's. He states these things as they are facts, and well, they are they are incontrovertible facts. Yeah. Of course, people then do try. I mean, that's the tragedy of the Godfather: is that despite the fact he's he's so assured in his position in his role, he's actually presiding over a family that's going to bust itself apart because people aren't going to do what they're told anymore, and everything's changing. Um, and and I think I think the music kind of brings out that kind of you know a family tradition italian cipher thing but also you know brings out the tragedy the fact that all of this is going to change it's all going to break apart as it, a result of the choices people are going to make you can't imagine that movie without this music and i no. think that's true for all of the songs that we picked today but this in particular um it's the oldest piece of music by almost a decade but not quite um because halloween was 78 and this was 72 but the Godfather, when it was released, was such a, a cultural touchstone that it's before your time and my time. We were both. I was born in seventy, so I was only two, and yeah. I was introduced to The Godfather years later. And the first time I watched it, I didn't really get it. I was just too young. But yeah. then I watched it again when I got a little older, and it just it it just blew me away. Um, I don't know. I. I I can't imagine a piece of music that would fit The Godfather better than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I... Go ahead. I agree. Your last one is... Is, uh, is the theme from Star Trek First Contact. Um, and... Uh, this one is uh, this one. I, I accept that many people might not be as familiar with. I think a lot of pe- a lot of people in our audience will have seen the movie, but might not necessarily remember the uh, the score or the or the or the theme tune. But what really got me about this one is that um, the first of all, first contact was the first kind of. I, I think it was the first good Star Trek movie in an awful long time yeah. that basically didn't play out like a like a, a a big extended version of a TV show, but actually was like a big epic movie in its own right. But what I like about this music is that First Contact is a is a kind of it's it's a Picard action movie and it's a it's a Borg movie. Yep. Yeah. Um and so that's kind of big space battles, big you know, um well lots and lots of battles and fights and that sort of thing. A lot of menace, a lot of danger. And yet for the main theme they didn't really <laughs> use any of that they actually 
focused on the the name of the movie first contact which is about you know contact between the, the first contact between earth and another alien species um and i think this what's that's what's great about this piece of music it's actually very catchy if you hear it um, it is yeah, and it's the really, board really music catchy. in this movie is amazing as well. Yeah, it is. But the thing is, this is the, is the main theme. It has this kind of whimsical, hopeful element that I think was always part, or, or was always meant to be part of Star Trek. And I really, I always really enjoyed the fact that they they pick that up as the main theme. This is very much more Picard-like yes. rather than the kind of the, a lot of the other Star Trek themes are kind of a little bit bombastic. Sometimes. And, yeah. mi- where yeah, this one is and, uh, quiet and it, and it builds. And, exactly. But the funny thing is, Star Trek has never really had its own theme song. Like, Star Wars music is Star Wars music. If you hear the, yeah. the that's, that's Star Wars. Star Trek hasn't ever had that, except, I think, this movie. This yeah. movie's theme, when you think of Star Trek movie, or a Star Trek theme, the beginning of this is Star Trek now. It yeah. became, and every theme that's come from it and, or after it has has pulled inspiration from this theme, and you can hear it when you hear the newer Star Trek stuff. Yeah, um, it's Deep Space Nine especially, but yeah, there there was something about this song in particular that really captured why I think Star Trek is so um, inspirational for people. I yeah. mean, other than when the bad things happen, Star Trek as a human species up until recently anyways um is kind of how we would imagine that we would go as a species you know yeah but and that was always the difference because star wars you know it is it says in the in the opening credits and a long time ago in a galaxy far far away it's a fantasy yes. yeah even though there's an awful lot of human looking people in it it's a fantasy whereas star trek is meant to be this is what we could be doing in 300 years time exactly um and and that's that's the big difference and i, I always like the fact that it had those i mean it's really i guess star trek picard is the most recent thing that's kind of really recaptured the old type of star trek certainly the the modern movies the the uh chris pine reboot movies great movies as they are they're not really the tv series of star trek um well when you say and, the series the 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 tv series of star trek i think that for me the best star trek isn't the original series i think they're kind of hokey and i, I know what they were doing yeah uh, but the next generation i think yeah. that is for all the Star Trek stuff we're getting now, that's where it starts. It's not yeah. the original series. I know that mm-hmm. they rebooted and all that, and they're fun movies. I, I extremely enjoy them. Well, they went downhill. But the Star Trek Next Generation TV series, I think is, is you, you can't pick a better inspiration. It's, it's amazing. And that's, to yeah. me, that's classic Star Trek now. Yeah, I agreed. And, and again, I think... Their better episodes were were not net always the ones with the rough tough action in. No, uh, particularly as as a lot of those. Well, the one you with go Picard up, you, gets sucked into a life and he lives an entire lifetime exactly in a matter yeah. of minutes, and he plays a little flute and oh my god, exactly. it's, it's yeah. so good. I mean, it's you know, did he actually live that life or did he just absorb it from this probe thing that's designed to make someone remember the species that lived that's gone i mean it's such a yeah you know it's right up there with the opening of like uh up you know yeah. 
it, exactly. it's one of those things that just it it touches you and it's such a brilliant show and it's hard to capture music to encompass because remember when first contact came out that show was done and over with oh um, yeah yeah and how do you how do you capture the magic from this show that people love for what seven or eight seasons i think it was seven yeah um how do you capture that feel and then going forward and i think this theme song exactly encompasses that everything you loved about that show is back and here it is and it's it's so good and first contact quite honestly and i agree with you it i think it might be the best of all the star trek movies um from an intelligence standpoint it's got it's got character development you know the the journey that picard takes in here is amazing when he is just losing his shit and the girl brings him back yeah that is is such a powerful it's amazing um yeah i don't know i i i completely agree with you i think i think first contact works well on so many levels and it It holds up extremely well great space battles it's got the best baddie they ever had in star trek in it they're they're used really really well awesome yeah um all the cast are are really good you know everyone was yeah, you could tell everyone was enjoying working there, and, and uh, they didn't have a lot of the the, the hokiness of the previous movie, um, and yeah, uh, and yeah, and, and yeah, and and an, and an intelligent plot that that kind of holds up all the way through, whereas a lot of the later yeah. ones just kind of didn't. Yeah, um, but they also took so, chances. Yeah. I mean, uh, Zephram Cochran, he's the guy who invented the warp drive, and that yeah. you know it's because of his invention in an awful part in human history leads us yeah. to have first contact with the contact with the Vulcans and it changes everything. Yeah. That, you know, they held him on such a high pedestal that especially for Geordi, that when he actually meets the guy yeah. he's, he's pretty disappointed. He's yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, <laughs> they have to almost force him to do the right thing. It's so good. I mean yeah. there, there's just nothing in this movie that's not super enjoyable. And like I said, this music perfectly encapsulates all of that and while taking from the past, it's also saying this is the future and look what we can do. Yeah. I think that the show Picard takes more from this movie as far as uh, inspiration and, and the overall feel of it than it yeah. does the next generation. Mm-hmm. You know, Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's because obviously uh, Picard is, is the Borger, a major part of the plot. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, and then it muses on some of the some of the same some of the same things, you know. Because again, Picard's on a journey. He's like, what 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 am I doing? What is my life for? What am I trying to achieve? Yeah. Um, which again is a similar sort of thing because in in First Contact he becomes obsessed with uh, they well, they very clearly state the uh, the, uh, the the Captain Ahab the uh, the Moby Dick theme is is right there. Is about he becomes so obsessed with punishing the Borg for what they did to him. It's yep. much more about what they did to him than what they did to anybody else. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which makes it, sense. He, yeah, but he completely loses sight of that. Yeah. And it, and you then contrast it with later on with what they do in Star Trek Picard with his attitude to the Borg, his understanding of the Borg having been through it. Yeah. Um, and also, I think, his empathy towards um, synthetic life in general because yep. he's been through it, you know. Well, not only um, that, but because of his friendship with Data. And Data yeah. had you know, sacrificed himself for Picard. That's right. Um, you know, it really powerful themes. And I think that 
that first season, I know they've already, I think they've already finished uh, season two. We just haven't got it yet. Um, was so good, yeah. you know, and I think it's so good because of this movie. Yeah. So. And funnily enough, the theme to Picard, I mean, it's not, it's not the same. It's not the same. I can't think of what the tune at all. It's not as nowhere near as memorable, but it kind of has some of the same themes to it. It's much, it's quite gentle. It's quite introspective. Um, it's it's not. I mean, and and I think you know. Thank God they. I'm sure Patrick Stewart wouldn't have done it if they tried to make him in his 70s an action hero. Still, I mean, his, his frailties are are kind of capitalised on as part of the plot of of Picard. And that, again, that's one of the things that makes it good is that even though he's you know he's an old man, he's still capable of inspiring people to behave in a way that gets the job done. Um, and uh, he, even though these a lot of the guys he he kind of assembles his crew really only have um they you know they're only there because of him but they only stick around because of him because of what what respect they have for him yeah and uh, i i loved the fact that they they use that as a as a um as as kind of a hook to hang it on rather than trying to make him still you know an old badass i mean one of the things that really worries me about the 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 next indiana jones they're talking about doing is they will continue to have poor old literally old harrison ford you know whipping things yeah, and jumping they could across le- they could learn a lot from picard <laughs> exactly because yeah. you really don't want to be no, but you know, of course, it can be done with stunt doubles and CGI and all yeah, that sort of thing. But you don't want to see seventy-year-old Harrison <laughs> Ford pretending that you know he's. Yeah, it it, yeah. it doesn't work. <laughs> so with that, that is our first six picks. Uh, do you agree with them? Do you disagree with them? Uh, should there have been other things in there that we missed? Let us know. Now, this isn't a complete list yet. We're going to revisit this. We may actually. Uh, expand it and by that i mean instead of just calling it movie scores hall of fame just scores hall of fame because yeah there are a lot of television scores as well that i think are maybe not as i as good as some of this or some of it yeah maybe picard's a good example i couldn't hear the picard theme in my head now granted it's only been one season so it hasn't had that touchstone yet but I, while you were talking, I went and listened to it. I was like, oh, my God, he's right. This is so good. And you can hear a little bit of the inspiration in the Picard theme from uh, First Contact's main theme. A little bit. A yeah. little bit. Inspiration. Let me put it that way. Um, so let us know your guys' thoughts on our list. Send us feedback. It's the show at, no, yeah, the show at geekspubpodcast.com or simply go to geekspubpodcast or mymac.com and leave a um, message or a comment in the show notes. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Unfortunately, it's going to be under Tech Fan. So, if you haven't been listening to Tech Fan or you don't know what Tech Fan is, that is our sister show. And um, you know, we're not going to create social media profiles for just this show. We've already got it on Tech Fan. So, uh, yeah. just just find us there. It's you know we we talk less tech on this show and more well what you just listen to, which we don't do on Tech Fan. So. Um, you know we've we've done stuff like this before in fact years ago probably a decade ago we actually did a uh something very similar um john williams is our our favorite john williams songs um i think you were on that episode david i think so yeah geekiest show ever um i remember rick stringer was on there and one of my themes from that was the theme from 1942 the movie so we've got a lot more music to to kind of delve into in the future but uh in two weeks we'll be back and uh 
you know, we'll have a different take maybe on WandaVision. Maybe it completely goes off the rails and it's awful. Um, you know, there's a lot of really cool geeky stuff coming out, and I'm really, really looking forward to what's coming up, David. Me too. See you uh, next week on Tech Fan and two weeks back here on Geeks Pub. It's a date.